Welcome to Upholding Matters, a podcast devoted to talking about what matters. Now, I was raised to believe that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were things that mattered. And certainly they are the unalienable rights that Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. We will talk about how to uphold them, how they hold us up, and why that matters. Hello again, my friends. This is Upholding Matters. I'm your host, David Paul, and this is a week that will go down in history. The coin is minted, the challenge coin, and we've spoken about it before. The Singapore summit has happened, and it was a spectacle to be sure. I have mentioned world unraveling dissociative disorder. I call it WUD. And if WUD was liquor, the effects, I'd be too drunk to drive right now, overcome with WUDness. This inescapable feeling that the world has really gone crazy for people to sit there and accept willingly some of these things that have happened in the last few days. Either they don't understand, they don't care, and I guess there's always another option. They're deceived by a person who themselves has been deceived, and it goes on and on, and it is crazy-making, to say the least. But we go on. And we try. Now, I must say, I never gave this as much thought as I'm doing now. But in the old days, Donald Trump was a known commodity, a celebrity, a guy who just loved the attention. And everybody understood that. And even as I've mentioned before, when he ran for president, I thought... Well, this guy can never be elected. So I, I didn't think about it then. But what has unraveled this last couple of days after the G7 summit in which he offended our closest economic and military allies to this Singapore convention or whatever you call this get-together they had where they were going to come away with complete, verifiable, unreneggable situation where they would just give up their missiles and that would be that. We got none of that. Just promises. We've been getting these promises for 20, 30 years from North Korea, but they do have nuclear weapons now, which makes the situation just a little more challenging. I mentioned in one of the episodes about the documentary I watched on the Korean War and the back and forth and the futility and the senselessness of all of it, let's say. The point is that since these times, South Korea has grown into a thriving capitalist democracy and it's really incredible to understand that they have Seoul uh, 
28, 30 million people within artillery range of thousands of tubes of artillery that the North Koreans have aimed south. It's a very, uh, I, I don't have words to describe how, despite all the odds or the danger, South Korea just went ahead and made something of themselves. And here we have this guy, Kim Jong-un, who he can see that. His people can't see the world, but he can. And he has got to know that there's no comparison, just like the satellite photos that show that there are no lights at night in North Korea. It's just a dark jungle land, wasteland of fraud and deception. And if you understand that this guy, Kim Jong-un, who was educated in the West, if you understand that he fully well realizes the only thing he has is fear and repression to keep him in power. His people, um, what was the word, uh, have a fervor for him, Trump used his people. It's, uh, I, I will talk about that in a few minutes. The point is that Kim Jong-un knows what he has under his control and what's against him in the world. So if Donald Trump thinks that he can give up his nuclear power and his maniacal control, godlike power he has over life and death, I mean, there are valid reports that say that his people think him a god. They don't even think he defecates. Uh, that's how much this cult of reverence has been built up over three generations. And the poor people that live there, they, they don't have a choice. They have to do that enthusiastic cheering or lose their lives. Uh, to think that they, his people love him, they have a fervor for him, or whatever word he used. It's... It is mind-blowing to think that anyone could think that. So, speaking of the end of the world... I would like to recommend that you don't watch some of the YouTube videos that I've started on recently. And it's like some people say they're doing it for research. Well, I do it for research. I listen. I find some of these things patently absurd from the get-go. And yet I do want to understand. I want to look at it here at, to try and understand how people think certain things and some of the stuff is backed up by people with actual credentials college degrees PhDs in oceanography and uh, earth sciences biology you name it there are genuine experts that have a very dim view of any future without drastic change let's just say 
that something like the one guy who's saying the uh, Earth's ecosystem just will not be able to handle certain, like the uh, Arctic poles melting and uh, the... uh, yeah, how can you even? It's like listening to those warning signs for some of the drugs on TV uh, may result in hemorrhage, tumors, cancer. You know, uh, why would you even start taking with those types of warnings? So, in this scenario, the earth gets too warm and stuff starts to break down. And this guy seems to think that there's like eight months or years, forgive me, eight years left for Earth to survive before most of the inhabitants are extinct. Now, he has a grim prediction of how many people die first, and it's because of water, all these huge cities, and there is no, uh, you know, everybody's on the municipal water. Where I live, some people have wells, but they're poisoned with arsenic and other things. So, that's right. Our whole community is heavily dependent on water. And if there was none, I uh, understand there's a movie coming out, Water Wars. So, it's not too far into the future where if there was a disruption in the water, a lot of the people all over this country that rely on this municipal water turn on the tap and there it is they'll be the first to go and there are millions of us so it's sort of like South Korea building up under the artillery tubes of the north always aimed at them always a present danger always something that should be put off and avoided at all costs but something that's very hard to control. And that's how I have to look at some of this stuff. You know, there's a million ways to get wiped out. So a miscalculation in North Korea and the beginning of nuclear war, and let me just veer off here for one quick second. One of this, part of the uh, doomsday video I watched has to do with what humankind will do to combat this uh, global warming, this heat that we can't uh, sustain. And one of the things is to shield the atmosphere by letting off nuclear bombs, uh, having nuclear winter conditions where the sun can't get down and finish off all life here on Earth, you know, that's part of the solution at that point. So if there's a nuclear war with North Korea and in the consequence, some of this stuff gets put up in the atmosphere to shield us from some of these rays that are going to kill us, my goodness, nuclear winter is the solution to global warming. What will they come up with next?
just time. I've watched a couple of movies lately, Annihilation with Natalie Portman, and uh, we just watched a Disney movie, The uh, Wrinkle in Time. I think I got that right. Anyway, both had magical scenes where people transverse dimensions and come into all sorts of exotic uh, landscape scenarios. I don't know how to describe it. It isn't multidimensional, the annihilation. It's just something that came on, yeah, or something, you know, over. Anyway, the dissociation of what? World unraveling, dissociative disorder, it means many things, but just generally a sense of out-of-placeness and inability to put it together the way you once did. All these things are part of it. So that's the long way around to me really just wanted to tell you that we're going to get back around to something very, very good at the end of all this. Something that is really a hopeful thing. And I had this thought the other day that hope and self-determination go together, not apart. So uh, hope is integral, but if you can't have control, well, that's another issue. Uh, I hear my cats playing. It's really loud, and I have to go see what all that racket is about. And here we go. Another lesson, a representation of life to me. I, I wonder, I love how the universe unfolds, and I wonder how I get so lucky to be part of it. That's my one little kitty's name who we rescued. She was actually hit on the street, and we saved her life and adopted her. And I may have told the story before, but my new little kitten, Spooky Mittens, that's that's what that noise was. And a paper got knocked on the floor and then she's chasing her little toy mice and all that rattling is just from one little sheet of paper but the minute I see her and of course you know you don't like to be interrupted but the minute I see her all is forgiven you can't be mad at spooky mittens and and that's really the power of love I can see her well if I had something valuable and she broke it it would be challenging but I'd come to the same conclusion because, you know, it's just, it's love to look at that little cat. She's grown up so fast. They do, don't they? So we'll, we'll get back to good things at the end. But right now, you know, I waited for this IG report, the Inspector General report of the um, Justice Department about the handling of the Hillary Clinton emails and James Comey in particular, who was put in this incredibly tough position. And really that's the end result of the uh, Inspector General's report. It's that Comey probably succumbed to pressure from Republicans who were clamoring so loudly for, you know, go after Hillary. And 
It turns out that this is a very natural response as I reflect on it because Comey didn't do that simply to abide their wishes. He, he did it to protect the FBI from charges that they didn't do enough. So he erred on the side of, I mean, you know, he. I've seen him on shows. He has a book and he says there were no good choices and I can understand that. But the pressure came from him wanting to defend his turf, his agency's reputation, and not have people say that they failed to do things. And let's face it, everybody likes to be liked. And speaking as we have been about generals, we remember that Donald Trump loves the generals. The New York Attorney General today filed a suit against Trump charities and he's named in it along with Ivanka and Jared, uh, not Jared, the uh, two guys, Don Jr. and uh, Eric. And the recommendations from the Attorney General are that not only they be subject to the penalties and fines, but that all of them, Donald, Donald Jr., and Ivanka all be barred from future uh, board membership or participation in charities because it's so egregious. And now here you have something that's true. They have a the Justice Department or attorneys generals in general. They want to go against high profile cases that will set an example. So going after Donald Trump, and this began before he was elected. So a big fish, biggest fish, they want to set an example. And that, I spoke at a meeting recently about after the war. I may have mentioned this, but we, uh, America, struck back at Japan. Now they're our ally. And all these things uh, with the G7 that we discussed before and the trouble caused, they're all part of an elaborate picture that it does, you know, self-determination equaling hope in this sense is the ability to just figure a lot of this stuff out even a little bit better. So briefly touching again about the Singapore summit, I do not miss the possibility of a good effect. I hope for it. I wish for it. I long for it. It's just that it'll take a bit of time to see how this all shakes out because there's a lot of misunderstandings about what things are actually. Uh, some government wrote back, I forgive me for not remembering as well as I should, but, you know, I remember the essence of things easier. And this was basically to say that uh, they're going to need further clarification of what he's talking about when they suspend the war games. So now that everybody's buddies, and then if it breaks up, you know, that's where a lot of the sparks fly after the breakup. 
if anybody's out there has ever done that. So we have to see, and I anxiously await, because things will move quickly. Uh, people have to answer for this poor uh, Secretary of State of ours now, Mike Pompeo. He seems like a great guy, but he's just a man, and he can't make impossible dreams happen. So we'll see. But one of the things that was also pretty interesting is that there are Republicans, and of course there are ones that haven't been too vocal or have been sheepish or fallen in line. You know, have you ever heard this one? I love it because I don't belong to either party. But uh, Democrats fall in love and Republicans fall in line. And they used to be for uh, reducing budget deficits, and they just gave a trillion and a half dollar tax break to millionaires and billionaires. And that sounds like a left talking point, but it's in essence what happened. And we're not rebuilding the roads, and we're not putting people to work, and it's what are you going to do? We, we could do much better. I would love to see us, but Bob Corker, he said that the Republicans are acting like a cult because they just follow along, and I don't know. I, I That's part of the bewilderment. I can't figure out how some people, with all this evidence of the Russians being involved in all these things, just can't get it. Now... Uh, with all these kids in the news uh, that are immigrants separated from their parents, children. Uh, there's no more room. There's hundreds, 100 of these shelters, they claim, all across the country. And there's thousands of children in there separated. And now they're going to build tent cities because the overflow is, is just too much to bear. So... It's bursting at the seams, and I don't know how, I mean, I, I get it that there's no place to put people. That's part of what I'll close on is our homeless win. But, you know, to, to say on the one side that nothing has changed and you're just following the law when Things have definitely changed, and they're intentionally, Jeff Sessions, in essence, says, you know, they're punitive. We, we want to send a message. We don't want people bringing their children here. True. True in the sense that we don't want to take care of any more people than we already can't take care of. But not true in the sense that America should have the compassion to take people fleeing from these war-torn regions where the gangs and the crime and the drugs and, my God, we are so lucky to live in America. And there's great violence and gang infiltration and drugs and all of that. But if, if people really had a sense or... You know, you would feel it right away if you were in one of these lawless places. You would know it, and you wouldn't like it, and you'd want something done about it. And so this is the position that a lot of these people are. There's no hope. 
There's no self-determination. There's not even a chance that your life will not be marred and traumatized repeatedly, almost daily. So you can understand why people would want to bring their children to America. That's what America is supposed to be about. And we here in America have a declining population. We're not having a lot of babies. We need immigrants and we need immigrant children to repopulate America with the love of America. Can you imagine the trauma that comes from being ripped away from your parents and be put in one of these juvenile facilities where all sorts of abuse will come to some of these children that is a horror that I've heard too many times from our own facilities here that are properly staffed. Why would we put children in that situation? And of course, you have to examine all things, but there was a news clip with a guy who quit from one of these shelters after being hired, and he just laid out some of the deplorable conditions, but it's almost like an open secret that the people, the couple that owns this not-for-profit that got all these millions of dollars to take care of these children underfunds the place and doesn't put back in a fraction of what it takes to actually house the children safely. But let me jump to the good news. I've been critical lately about the county and looking at the money and show me how much you've spent. We got all this Proposition H money, Measure H, I believe, forgive me. And, um, you know, they administer it. So how much have you spent actually helping somebody versus having some administrative cost for it all? And, uh, you know, they're doing good things. So we are opening this Kensington campus. I went to the groundbreaking celebration today and listened to the speakers, and there was cooperation. But there's going to be 50 homes, housing units for homeless, and they're building a second one right away. So there'll be 100 homes with wraparound services available to people in the greatest need to restore hope to their lives. And I hope you go online and check that out, Lancaster and Kensington uh, development. And uh, it was a great day and a great win and it reinstilled in me that there is hope and it's by our own self-determination. 